Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In the course of the speech that he gives praising love, Eric Simicus, the physician, the practitioner of the art of medicine, is going to talk about other arts as well. He's going to, after saying that medicine looks to the body and, and how to regulate its flows and its pleasures and desires and its order and structure, he talks about gymnastics and then immediately he switches to music. He's going to talk quite a bit about this, and it might seem a little bit of a digression, not least since he brings up Heraclitus, in part to say Heraclitus got some things right, but also to criticize Heraclitus. But he really sees a strong parallel between what medicine is doing and what music is doing. And this is something that you'll see as a platonic theme, not just something that people involved with the art of medicine might have said, but also Plato himself is going to say in the Republic, in the Gorgias, in, in other places as well. He's going to talk about these important types of arts and how they fit in with each other. So medicine, just to recap, produces health or helps to move from a diseased state to a healthy state. Why? By imposing a kind of good love, a harmony, onto opposed elements. And the elements were physical things like the hot and the cold, or the wet and the dry, or the, the bitter and the sweet. And, and there might be a whole bunch of these. Eric Simicus is not actually trying to give us an exhaustive medical treatise at this point, or to outline you know, what the whole metaphysics of his system is. But he thinks that medicine is able to do what it does by introducing good love. Good love is a kind of harmony, a kind of concord between the elements. Then he brings up Heraclitus, and he says, Heraclitus has this interesting passage. Heraclitus, by the way, is often called Heraclitus the Obscure, because in part we don't have that much of his work, and in part because he would say things that were seen as enigmatic. So Heraclitus talks about the one that's in conflict in itself being held together like the harmony of the bow and the lyre. So he's talking about something else, perhaps a, a cosmic principle, and then he's likening it to the harmony of the bow, right? Bow and arrow. You stretch out the bow, you produce force in part by pulling back the not the arrow, the string is, is in a certain way opposed to the bow itself. The arm is being opposed to the bow. And that's what allows something to happen. That's what allows the motion to take place. Something that the, the Greeks were very familiar with. Also the lyre. So the lyre is one of the important early instruments. And it's got multiple strings. It doesn't have frets or anything like that. Uh, that's another way to make multiple sounds out of an instrument, right? Instead, it has a whole sequence of strings, and you play the string that you want to hear. Another instrument that's very similar would be the harp. Now, is the lyre in harmony with itself in the same way that the bow is? No, not exactly the same way. There's a, a different type of metaphor here. You could create a harmony in part by playing what we nowadays call an arpeggio. Play a chord, right? Play the first, the third, the fifth. By the way, the Greeks were already becoming very familiar with the mathematics of this through Pythagoras. 
Now, Eryximachus is going to say Heraclitus is a little bit obscure on this point, in part because he, he seems to think that the one can actually be in conflict with itself. It's, if it's really in conflict it's with itself, it's not a one, it's not a unity. There has to be some sort of concord there in order for these opposed elements to actually be in, in one sort of unity. But then he has this, this statement that he says that's quite interesting. It's a essentially an identity statement saying this is this and this is this. So we can think about it in terms of the transitive property of A equals B, B equals C, A equals C. He's saying that a harmony, a harmonia in Greek, is a concord, is a, an agreement, right? A symphonia. Many voices together or, or multiple voices together would be a literal way of translating symphonia. That itself is also an agreement, or a sympathy is sometimes how it's translated, a homologia, a sameness of logia, of speaking, of articulation. And this is a homologia, an agreement of things that are different from each other, things that diaphering, literally that's, that's separate apart. So there's this property of bringing together involved in harmony or concord, things that would normally on their own repulse each other. We've already seen this with the art of medicine. How does this play out in terms of the art of music? Now, of course, you know, he's not trying to do a treatise in musical theory. There's other types of opposition that we could bring up. Plato himself will talk about the different modes in other things, in other uh, texts, and show us that he understands a bit more about music than he's putting in the, the mouth of Eryximachus, who, by the way, says, you know, we need to go to an expert to get any deeper into the details about this. But he says there's two important ways that music is bringing together opposites. It's bringing together the high and the low in harmony. So what, what does he mean by this? We have to imagine perhaps that we could think of the octave. When you play a single note and then you play the note that's eight above it, well, it's the eighth in the sequence, seven above it, seven full steps, 12 half steps above it. That sounds nice, right? It sounds different than just playing the note by itself. This is why actually in heavy metal, if you want to, to make a song sound particularly heavy, you have the bass playing the same thing as the guitar's riff, but the bass is playing it the same note, the same root note, one octave down, perhaps even two octaves down, depending on what you're doing. You can also do this with other things, you know, the first and the fifth. That gives you, if you just put those two together, that gives you a particularly strong sort of sound. That's the root of a power chord, by the way. We might also think of melody as doing something like this, ranging, you know, and bringing together high and low notes. Eric Simicus, of course, isn't getting too much in the details of this, but you, you can go a little bit further with that. Then he also talks about a different dimension. And this is important when we're thinking about music, because music happens in time. You don't just play one chord and then just let that ring for the entire concert, right? Or hold one note for the entire opera or symphony or whatever. You have to have uh, alternation of fast and slow. We do the same thing, by the way, with language. The ancient Greeks in poetry, they didn't have what we call end rhyme where roses are red, violets are blue, blah, 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 better end with an ooh, right? That's end rhyme. The Greeks instead had meter. Rhythm was part of the way the things were arranged. So, for example, one poem from Aristophanes, The Frogs. The frogs say, Breke ke kex, koax, koax. Breke ke kex, koax, koax. The koax, koax. Those are longer segments right there. Breke ke kex, fast, 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 fast. Slow, 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 right? 
I forget exactly whose poem this is, but there is a halapost me filets thy halapost to filets thy halapot around the panton apantam and non filets thy. Right? You hear the rhythm involved in that, and the Greeks were particularly attuned to that, whether it was poetry or whether it was music. So we can talk about music as incorporating the fast or the slow, and in both of these cases we have a harmonization taking place, a bringing together of things that are different, things that are opposed to each other. That's what Eryximachus says is going on in music. Here's where it gets really interesting. Now the art of music can be applied to human activities. Think about all the things that we provide musical scores to, from standing in the elevator, where you hear, you know, the proverbial muzak, elevator music, we call it. That defines a certain kind of activity. It's supposed to be, you know, light listening and all that. Think about what people work out to. It's not usually super soft stuff, unless they're, I don't know, doing yoga. But if they're <laughs> lifting weights, it's probably going to be something a bit more robust. There's music that's appropriate to certain things and then music that's less appropriate. And picking the wrong kind of music can put people in the wrong frame of mind. So just like how medicine produces certain effects within the body by producing good or bad love, by producing harmony or symphony or discord and dissolution, music can do the same thing in human activities. It has a psychological effect. Uh, Eric Simicus talks about it as connected with our desires and with our pleasures. And he, he cautions against provoking the wrong kind of desires with music or encouraging people in the wrong sorts of pleasures with music. Again, something that we're going to see Plato himself talking about in the mouth of Socrates in the Republic in a different dialogue, right? Now, he brings the two together finally by saying, you know, the art of medicine, one of the things that we're able to do with it is allow people to enjoy the pleasures of the table. They're, they're allowed to enjoy a certain amount of unhealthy eating because you balance it out with healthy things and you use the art of medicine to make sure they're not going to really do damage to themselves. He says the art of music can do something quite similar. The person who's actually skilled in music can let us enjoy a bit of the stuff that's a little bit risky, a little bit going too far. If we just listen to that all the time, it would screw us up. They understand the right amount of proportion for it. The, there's a certain order that should be imposed on it. That's what he's saying the art of music does. So the art of music works with love just as much as medicine does. As a matter of fact, they work almost in parallel or in tandem with each other. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.